you know anything of your German history, you'll know that Germany has been fought over over the centuries, and no more so than in the Thirty Years' War in the 17th century. There were a lot of refugees caused by that uh, war, and among them was a German pastor called Paul Gerhardt. He and his family were forced to flee from their home, and they had to stay in a, a small village inn. And they were homeless, and they were afraid. The future was unknown to them. And as Paul Gerhardt and his wife prepared to go to bed one evening, she just broke down in uncontrollable crying. She was in total despair. And to try and comfort her, Paul Gerhardt started to remind her of God's promises to them in the scriptures. Promises about his provision. Promises about how he will keep them. And then going out into the garden to be alone, he too broke down and wept. He felt that he had come to his darkest hour. But something inside stirred. Something of the promises of God that he had read started to affect his spirit. And that night in the dark, he wrote a hymn, which the Germans sing very regularly, and I don't think we sing at all. But he penned the words, Give to the winds your fears, hope and be undismayed. God hears your sighs and counts your tears. God shall lift your head up. Though waves and clouds and storms, through waves and clouds and storms, he gently clears the way. Wait thou his time. So shall the night soon end in joyous day. There was a man in the pit of despair. And sometimes we can feel like that and all we can do is just cry out. But it was God's promises from scripture that changed that pastor's heart, that changed that pastor's perspective. And that's exactly what we read when Beryl read to us from Psalm 119. And so this evening, we're going to be thinking about moving from despair to assurance. We're going to look at that passage in Psalm 119, and we're going to see how the psalmist moves from utter despair to assurance through having remembered God's promises. And we're going to end by reflecting on the words we've just read from the gospel, Jesus' words to love one another. And we're going to think about how we support one another as a church in times of despair. Now, some parts of scripture are not easy to understand. You probably don't need me to tell you that because they're not written in our cultural style and they weren't primarily written to us. Most of the Psalms were written three to three and a half thousand years ago. And when they were comp uh, compiled in their current format, some 300 years before Jesus was born, some of the terms and some of the phrases used in the Psalms had already gone out of use and were not familiar to those in that culture. The Psalms really are basically our poetry. And poetry in Old Testament times used a technique called parallelism. It's saying the same thing twice in different ways. And you'll notice a lot of that in the Psalms. We might say, 
today has been a beautifully warm day. There hasn't been the slightest hint of cold. Same thing in two different ways. That's parallelism. And the other thing that we find in the Psalms is an acrostic pattern. In other words, using the letters of the alphabet to introduce phrases and paragraphs. And that's exactly what we have in Psalm 119. And generally, generally speaking, the Psalms fall into two categories. Categories of petition, of asking God for things, and the category of praise, thanking God for things and worshipping him. But the majority of the Psalms come from a heart of suffering. Many of the Psalms seem to be a complaint against God that he has not acted, that God has not acted to prevent wrongs, to prevent suffering, to prevent persecution. And that's why as we read the Psalms, even though they weren't written to our culture, they strike a chord in our heart because our experience is the same as the psalmist's experience. I wonder if you've ever had that cry in your heart where you've said, why God? Why? Why has this happened? Why haven't you intervened? A sense of frustration, a sense of not understanding. If that's been in your heart, or if that's in your heart tonight, then the psalmist exactly echoes those sentiments. But the Psalms don't just, don't just ask questions, they also provide answers. But the answer that they give can be hard for us to accept. Because the answer in the Psalms doesn't come as an explanation to the question. The answer is not a reason given for the things that God has or hasn't done. The answer comes in pointing us to the promises and faithfulness of God. And the big challenge for us as we read the Psalms is, can I accept that? Can I accept that I don't get a straight answer to a straight question? Can I accept the answer that God gives me to these questions? The question, do I trust him? Can I trust him? Is God faithful? I'm sure many modern psychologists would have chastised that German pastor for trying to comfort his despairing wife by quoting scripture at her. But actually, that was an act of faith. And that's exactly what transformed their circumstances and their hearts. So in the first part of our reading in Psalm 119, verses 81 to 88, we're dealing with a man who is at the end of his tether. He is really so close to the point of absolute desperation. In a sense, he's saying, I've reached the end. I can take no more. So in verse 82, he cries out to God, when will you comfort me? And in verse 84, how long must I endure this? Can you feel the emotion in those questions? The assault on him is relentless. And he asks, when will it ever end? He's overwhelmed. A feeling of hopelessness, of abandon. And in verse 87, he says, I've almost been wiped from the face of the earth. That sounds really serious. I've almost been wiped from the face of the earth. Desperate words. But there are times when we feel desperate. 
when we've reached rock bottom and we feel we can fall no further, and then the floor beneath us opens up and we fall again. Everything is stripped away and we are consumed with anxiety and fear. So what of this psalmist? Interestingly, he's not a rebel against God. Far from it, in his desperation, he doesn't question God's law or God's faithfulness or God's promises, but he asks this question. He asks the question, when will it do me any good? When will all this that I believe, when will it do me any good? Because frankly, I seem to be losing on every front. The divine reinforcements that I've prayed for and I would expect to come to my rescue, they're absent. This isn't a man who doubts the existence of God. This isn't a man who can't pray. That's what this psalm is. It's a prayer. But it's a man who's reached his wit's end. Our experience can be similar. We can reach that low point where our faith is intact, but it doesn't seem to help us. We want to be rescued, but no rescue comes. We read that God says he will heal, but no healing seems forthcoming. We re read that God will protect us and be our rock, and yet we feel vulnerable and abandoned. And we cry out, where is God? What is the answer? Where is their hope? And as we cry out, we stop for a moment. And we just ask ourselves this question. As we read these verses, is there an imprint of the cross across this passage? I wonder if as we read it, we can hear echoes of the anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane. I wonder if you can hear the abandonment of the Savior on the cross. I wonder if you can feel the persecution that Jesus experienced, alone, wiped out. Can you hear that cry from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know that wonderful hymn, Man of Sorrows, what a name, for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim, hallelujah, what a saviour, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood, hallelujah, what a saviour. Man of Sorrows, now do we see this? That God has sat where we sit, God has been exactly where we are. God has experienced himself what we experience. God has known what it is to be pressurized, to be pulverized, to be persecuted. He has felt that abandonment even more than we feel it. And his message to us is, I'm not as far away as you imagine. He's been there where we are. In actual fact, he is with us where we are. He feels. He's the one who, last week, he wept at Lazarus' tomb. He was the one who was with Joseph in prison. And in our frustration and in our abandonment, he is actually there beside us. But back to the cross, what words follow Jesus' cry of abandonment? What does he say next? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. His flesh is done for. 
All he's experienced in the last 48 hours is torture, pain, humiliation, rejection, desertion. And yet his spirit is safe in God. So what is it that turned the psalmist's desperation? And what is it that turned Jesus' forsaken cry? Well, we find it when we get to verse 89 of Psalm 119, because suddenly the light dawns. And from having a focus of coming to an end, suddenly he looks forward. And the key word of these next verses is the word forever. If we were reading from the authorised version, verse 89 would say, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Forever. His focus changes from present circumstances to God's eternal promises. The psalmist has almost perished, but now he sees that it's God who's established everything. It's God who stands forever. And his perspective changes from the hopelessness of his situation to the glory of God's eternal truth. And that's what the passage challenges us to do, to change our focus. See, today we get very preoccupied with today, with things which are temporary and transient. Jesus said, didn't he, things are here today and gone tomorrow. Everything is temporary, everything passes away except one thing. And that one thing is the enduring word of God. And that's what Psalm 119 calls us to do, to look beyond the temporary and look at the eternal. And this is the only answer to the psalmist's despair. It's looking beyond our constantly changing circumstances and looking at the unchanging nature of God. And the truth dawns on him in verse 92. He says, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. The only thing that kept him from perishing was knowing God's word, knowing God's truth, his knowledge of God. And there's a constant tension in the Psalms between the promise of blessing and the experience of suffering. But all the way through, what sustains him is his knowledge of God's purposes and promises and faithfulness. He knows that God always does what is right. And one of the most famous, one of the most familiar and one of the most plentiful phrases in the Psalms is God is faithful. Now, God's faithfulness might not mean much to us when things are going well. But when we are down, when the ground beneath us seems to slide away, when our hope and security have disappeared, and humanly we're left in despair, then it's the Spirit that whispers in our ear, forever God is faithful. In the midst of trouble, for what do we pray? Do we pray that God will change our circumstances or do we pray that God would change us in those circumstances? That God would change our focus? Is our focus on the temporary things or is our focus on the eternal things? We were sitting out in the garden this afternoon and my granddaughter, we heard an owl and my granddaughter wanted to see if she could see it. You never can, but... She got a pair of binoculars out. And you know what happens when you start focusing binoculars? When you focus them on the things that are near, everything in the distance is a blur. 
But as you change the focus, the things at a distance come into focus and the things in the foreground disappear. I don't suppose the psalmist knew what binoculars were, but if he had, that's what he's talking about. We are to delight in the word of God and look ahead, look to the future. What the psalmist didn't know, but what we now know is that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. The psalmist isn't actually encouraging us to bury our heads in ancient scrolls, but the psalmist is saying, lift up your head and look at Jesus. You know that old song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So it's through the living word of God that our despair is turned into eternal assurance. So how do we, as the community of God here, how do we help each other make that change? How do we encourage each other to change our focus? Because as the body of Christ, we are part of each other. Paul says, when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. And Jesus gave us this command to love one another as I have loved you. And what characterized Jesus' love? It was total. It was selfless. It was sacrificial. When he washed his disciples' feet, he was showing them that there was nothing he would not do for them. So helping each other in our despair and our suffering is a God-given responsibility. It's not an option. It's an obligation of being part of the family of God. And how do we help? We help by immersing our lives and those we're helping under the word of God, by encouraging them with the promises of God, by bringing them to the word made flesh to see Jesus in their circumstances. It's what the psalmist was doing. It was changing focus from the current to the eternal. I wonder if you see that as part of your responsibility. I wonder if I find that is part of my responsibility, part of our privilege of being part of the body of Christ. When someone is in suffering and despair and needs the light of Jesus, are we there to help them? God calls you to be that person. God calls you to bring light into their darkness, to bring freedom and hope into their despair, to let you help change their focus. And in this season, as we consider what it means to be Christchurch and Christ's church, we will see that it's our role to encourage and to be encouraged, to change and have our focus changed, to receive and to share the promises that God gives, that he will build us up and build up others. To see that God's purpose is to turn our despair into assurance as we look at the word made flesh. As we think of what it means to be Christ church, we hear those words, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. Let's pray together. 
Father God, we thank you for the word made flesh. We thank you for Jesus, our saviour. Lord, we pray that in our circumstances and in this coming week, we may have our eyes fixed on Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would allow us to help other people, that we may be able to lift their eyes as that German pastor lifted the eyes of his wife from despair to assurance. Lord, we pray that you would grant us grace and help and may our lives and those we touch be lives that glorify your holy name. But we ask it in the name of Jesus, the word made flesh. Amen.